0: Hello and welcome to the Earful Runner podcast, a show devoted to sharing the stories of people who come to race in the most magical places on earth. I'm Mary, and I am so pleased to be able to share this week's episode with you. Our guest this week is Brian Seaman, an adaptive athlete, a three-time Paralympian who, in addition to competing in the world championships and the world marathon majors, is also a six-time dopey challenge champion. Brian has an incredible story, a fervent love of all things Disney, and a passion for the Run Disney community. In just a moment, you'll hear from Brian about his journey in sports, from high school track and field to competing on the global stages of London, Rio, and Tokyo, to his epic multi-year dopey streak. Before we get to the interview, we wanted to extend our thanks to keen listeners in our community. Who shared Brian's story with us and encouraged us to find out more about the talented and gregarious push rim athlete who's been racing and winning at Run Disney for over half a decade. And now, without further ado, here's our conversation with Brian and M. So you are, I think, the most decorated athlete we've yet had the opportunity to chat with. So thank you so much for making time today.
1: Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. It's kind of really exciting. I didn't even know there was a podcast until you reached out. And so now I'm excited to follow along.
0: Well, we, uh, we, it started as a pandemic project because, uh, Emily and I both absolutely love run Disney and nothing was happening in that zone. Um, and we found some amazing stories, uh, and one of our sharp eared listeners let us know that you are actually the first, you know, multi-race champion at run Disney. And it was
1: like, oh my gosh, we have to hear Brian's story. Oh, well, cool. I'm, I'm happy to, to share it. And, and, um, yeah, I mean, I. I love run Disney races. I think they're probably the highlight of all of the races that I do throughout the year. Um and so I mean I I you know I used to do more. Um I think I started my first run Disney race was actually the Avengers um half marathon at Disneyland. I did the inaugural one. I think it was back in oh my gosh, 2014, I think, I think I'm dating myself. It was very long time ago. And again, I just love superheroes. And so I was like, there's a Disney race and it's like Marvel theme, like sign me up. And so, um, and then I, you know, through that, there was sort of this natural progression, obviously to the Disney world marathon, um, and the, then the dopey series. And, and yeah, I just love run Disney. I wish I could do more races to be perfectly honest, because they're just so much fun.
0: Oh, that's awesome. So before we dive in on all of that really great stuff, uh, we like to always like to situate our listeners. So Brian, you are a very decorated athlete who has been to three different Paralympics, uh, as well as world championships, uh, and in addition to being a run Disney champion, a college professor, uh, and a proud son of Brooklyn. I understand you and your sibs hail from Brooklyn though. You were raised in Jersey. Is that right?
1: Very true. Yep, uh, my sisters and I. Yep, Brooklyn. I, I I like to claim the New York title, even though I, I'm very much a New Jersey boy.
0: It's all good. So, so Brian, if you could tell our little uh, our listeners a little bit about your journey into athleticism, I understand you kind of got started in in high school.
1: Yeah, yeah. So my journey to sports is um, very atypical. Um, so for anyone that is listening that doesn't can't see me or doesn't know anything. So I am a wheelchair user. Um, I, uh, I was injured when I was six days old. Um, I am also a quadruplet. And so, uh, my three sisters and I were born a minute apart from each other. Um, I had some complications after I was born due to a medical mistake, which left me paralyzed. Um, and my sisters did not. So I have grown up using the wheelchair. So kind of put into context there, just so you know, that I'm a wheelchair user. Um, I grew up, um, not very athletic and and i know like i i always tell people that i'm not an athlete which then when you hear kind of about my sporting experiences they're kind of laughing like well you are and and i never saw myself as an athlete and part of that was from the fact that um i don't think that there was there was never really any like disabled representation that was like easily available for me to see back then. Um, So, you know, I knew that some kind of like sports like wheelchair basketball kind of existed, but it wasn't really prominent. There weren't a lot of opportunities. And so for me, um, I, that sports was just something I was like, oh, I don't get to do this. Um, And I actually got involved in sports um, in high school. Um, And so my first day of high school, my, my then high school coach came up to me on the first day of of high school and asked me if I could walk or if I just had a broken leg, um, which was a very odd question to be asked. And um, when I told him that uh, I used the wheelchair permanently, he was like, oh, why don't you come out for the track team? And um, I looked at him and I said, I just told you I can't walk. And he said, yeah, yeah, I know. He's like, I've seen other kids in wheelchairs compete at our state meet. I've never coached a kid in a wheelchair before, but if it's something you want to try, we could try it together. And I said, sure, not really knowing what I was getting myself into, I, um, my high school raised money for my first racing chair, um, which, um, for, uh, listeners, um, uh, just the, the average cost of just an aluminum frame pushroom racing chair is about $5,000. Um, so that was a very big sort of gamble that my high school took on this, uh, you know, chubby kid who had never done, you know, sport activity a day in his life. So, um, and looking back on that, I kind of look, I'm like so grateful, um, for, for that opportunity. And, and I didn't realize it at the time, but, um, I mean, that completely changed the trajectory of my life and and everything that I, I now do. Um, and yeah, and so I just, uh, I ended up, I, I, raced with my high school team. Um, I would train with them every day. I met, um, I would work out with the distance team. Um, I had, um, a great time there. Um, and then that sort of led to my natural progression of, I was recruited to come to the university of Illinois and train. Um, they actually have a, a wheelchair track and road racing team here. Um, so I started training here. Um, and then, uh, qualified for my first Paralympic team and in, in 2012 and so on and so forth. So, um, so yeah, so I kind of got started later, but it was, it was kind of a very happenstance, but, uh, a really kind of cool experience nonetheless.
0: That's incredible. And, and just, I love that the coach was like, you know what? No, like this is for, yes, admittedly very strange thing to ask a wheelchair user, but also like to just be like, oh, I've seen other people do this. Um, representation is so important. And, and, I think for a lot of athletes in the adaptive community, even now, they don't see that representation, which is one of the reasons why I love that run Disney really has really solid representation, uh, for adaptive athletes of all, all types. Um, I think the first two waves last weekend, or was it last weekend M, or two weekends ago? Now I can't even remember where, uh, time w- doesn't exist anymore. No, it's, it's really a theoretical construct. I'm pretty sure. Um, But, uh, yeah, they're just, just so many different adaptive athletes, which was fantastic. So I have to ask what was your, what was your event in track and field? And did you continue to do that event as you moved forward into the Paralympics? Did you change distances? What, what happened there?
1: Yeah, so I did. I mean, yes and no. It's kind of a very, uh, it's a different sort of question. It's a different sort of thing. So in high school, my goal, I I trained with a distance team. um, And my goal was I really wanted to break the 1600 meter state record, which my senior year I ended up doing. Um, So that was kind of like a really nice sort of pinnacle to like my, you know, ending my, my high school career there. And so I did distance. Um, but Then as soon as I got to college, Um, and, and I sort of, my, my coach here, um, who has a lot more sort of specialized experience, realized that I'm a much better sprinter than I am a long distance athlete. And so, um, I, my, my like metal potential events that I really train for are the 400 and 800. Um, and so, so those are the two events that I really focus on. However, um, wheelchair racing is a little bit different in terms of, um, sort of like the biomechanics and and our ability to do longer distance races, um, as well. And so it's not as much impact as like a runner has where, um, they, you know, we can do more repeated, um, intervals and things like that and not have as much strain on our shoulders and and everything. And so for us, I also, I mean, I do the marathon as well and I, I do marathons throughout the year. And so, um, while I do the marathons and I do longer distance events, like I did in Tokyo, I, I did actually every event. I did the 100 through the marathon um, because there was, I, I had qualified and there was, I, I didn't focus on them, but I was able to do them. And I was like, oh, it's cool, might as well do it. I'm not doing anything else in the village. Um, it was, um, my focus still was the four and the eight, but I ended up doing every event. And so so that's why there's that difference in that I can do those events. Um, or any, any sort of wheelchair athlete, uh, has the ability to do so. Cause it's, it's different than like a runner who really has to specialize kind of in, in like one or two specific races.
2: I just want to back up to the part where you said you, there wasn't anything else to do in the Olympic village. So you did more Olympic events.
1: Tokyo was the exception I normally uh, Tokyo was the exception because of COVID um the village became its own sort of uh bubble of sorts um and so we were much more restricted in terms of what we could do you could explore the village but you're there for so long that after a while it um you kind of do just want to leave. And so, um, if you're going to leave, you might've, the only way you could leave was to do more events. And so, um, I was since I'd qualified and, and it was, um, you know, it's good experience. I mean, I love the longer distance races just because there is so much, there's so much more tactical racing involved. I mean, the 15 and five, there's, you know, surges and you just, you know, you get in into the pack and and pack racing is so much fun. Um, and so that's just really cool opportunity to do and to do, be able to do it, you know, at the Paralympic stadium is just, it's really cool. And so, so yeah, so it was, it was a nice thing to do to, to not, when you didn't have much else going on
0: so i have to ask so I, I believe your first uh experience at the paralympics was 2012 in london right
1: mm-hmm.
0: what was it like to go into the stadium for for the first time during the parade like what, what what what's going through your head what does that feel like
1: it is the most surreal experience going into the stadium the first time ever it's still actually even i you know again I've i've done three games now and every single time it gets you it's just this incredibly amazing experience Um, a lot of times what they don't talk about during opening ceremonies specifically is that, um, you stand in line for like three hours. So Um, Disney
0: is actually great
1: preparation, right? Like you had no idea. Exactly. Such great preparation. Um, because yeah, they have to make sure everything's ready and everything's perfect, just like run Disney races. And so, um, so yeah, you stand there and, and, and the United, they usually go, um, they go alphabetical order by the, um, how the, like the language of the country you're in. And so, um, that determines your place. Um, and then the host country goes last and, um, yeah, so United States is usually one of always the last ones in general. So, um, we, yeah, we usually do a lot of sitting and waiting around, um, just sort of being taken from one room to another. Um, and then, but you once you finally like start moving um in the parade, it's, you know, you you hear, they say United States of America and the fireworks go off. And then like there's this thunderous eruption in the stadium. And it is, it just gives you goosebumps. Um and, and so to to get to experience that multiple times is um, you know, really kind of something special. That even though sometimes it's a long time to be sitting there, the experience itself um, those few moments where you get to walk in make it entirely worth it. It's
0: just incredible. So, so how does that compare for a lot of our listeners who have never experienced anything like an elite level competition? How does that compare to your experience at World Championships?
1: Um, world Championships is that you know they it is um, it's it's scaled down, but it's still sort of um, a very similar feeling. You know, you get to. You, anytime I get to wear my, my team USA uniform is, is an honor. And, and it's something that I, I take a lot of pride in. And, and I actually, um, we usually always get a whole kit of, of, you know, our, our uniforms and things. And I will never, I don't work out in those. Those are like only my competition gears for when I get to wear it. I, I'm very particular about it. I, other, other people will wear it. Um, they'll train in them and that's, that's totally fine. That's their prerogative. But for me, it's something that's so, it's so special and so unique that I, I, I kind of cherish those moments that I do get to put it on, um, and, and represent our country. And so, um, yeah, I, world championships is, is, is very much a similar feeling of just being able to, um, you know, represent our country and, and just, uh, you know, race fast.
0: So I am very curious, how does a like, how does an, um, a push rim, like 1500 meter compare to a running hundred meter. I mean, I would have to imagine the times are just like blazingly fast. Yeah,
1: they are. Then they're getting faster, which is, and as I'm getting older, it's, it's getting harder and harder. Um, so for instance, um, the, I think the current world record or close to world record that was just run at the Paralympics in Tokyo for the 1500 was a two forty nine. um, Yeah, my fastest is a 258 um, and I mean, even that felt that, I mean, the times that were run, I was in shock. Like I, we all, a bunch of my teammates and I, we were looking and we were like, oh my God, now we have to go hit these times. Um, and so, so yeah, so the longer the distance of, for a push from athlete, the more likely it is that, um, as we gain the momentum from, from, you know, the manual propulsion of our wheels, um, we'll be able to, to get up to and maintain speed, you know, easier than a runner does, um. And so that's generally why in a lot of races, you see a lot of the, the push rim and, and hand cycle athletes. They'll start a little bit earlier, just so that that initial sort of onslaught of runners, as I'm sure a lot of all of the, the runners that run Disney races know, it's it's all the corrals are set up, but even they do those in waves because it's like, we want to give people enough time to kind of get going and get into their pace and things like that. Um, and it's the same thing for... Um, for us, it's we need to we need some you know just a, a couple extra minutes just to make sure that um, we have time to get up to that speed and, and kind of get going. Otherwise, it it would be um, more dangerous if if we were just starting you know amongst the the, the runners in the corral's.
0: Got it. Got it. So before we dive in on run Disney specifically, I'm very curious about an adaptive athletes, um, strategy for nutrition and hydration. I mean, do you are adaptive athletes provided with special stations that are set lower? Like, do you have to carry your nutrition? How does that work?
1: Uh, you have to carry it. Um, and mainly, and that's, I think more of it's over time. That's just been how, um, it's not that there isn't, it's not made available to us. It's more that it's not, um, it's just not convenient if you're pushing. Cause, um, in, in, uh, you know, you, you then have to stop. Um, and then it's not very easy to like sit up and like, so we're, we're using the gloves that we use kind of cover our hands. And so you can't just, you can't grab anything. So you'd have to be able to stop, take your glove off, grab your nutrition and then get going again. So, so it's more, um, everyone carry what we do is we carry it on ourselves. And so we'll use some kind of, um, like, uh, Camelback or, um, I just use like a smaller, like a bladder bag. Like, a, I think it's Osprey is the brand. Um, just kind of, they just have some, that it just has like some kind of electrolytes in it. Um, other people will put some kind of chew or like, um, they'll, this is gross. They put like a small dab of like super glue on it and just put it on the frame of their chair so they can just easily get it. Um, I don't like that. I don't like how they taste anyway. So, um, I just tend to stick with, um, uh, with just liquid, uh, hydration and, and just electrolytes. But, and that's what most, most, uh, you know, adapted athletes will do. They don't typically do a whole lot of like food stuff cause it's just not really feasible.
2: The whole idea though of super gluing a chew to your chair really concerns me in a lot of ways. I
1: <laughs> it's, it's like a small dab. And I only know a couple people that do it. And I made fun of the one person that I did see doing. And I was like, are you, are you gluing that to your chair? And he's like, well, yeah, I need it. And, and I was like, you do you. Um, not something I would ever do.
2: But isn't that toxic?
1: I, I, have I, I guess small, <laughs> small bits of toxicity won't kill you, I guess
0: you just you're moving so quickly and your body's just going to vaporize the calories yeah. that you know we're just hoping for the best on that I I have to say like that is very much like when I first started doing triathlons and people would duct tape stuff to their handlebars so yeah I I have actually heard this before um but super glue is definitely a new one so so let's let's kind of really dive in on on run Disney and also your Disney fandom so I I tend to handle a lot of the running stuff em is the Disney expert she has more Disney trivia in her head than almost anybody I, I think ever alive. So tell us a little bit about, you know, what started your Disney fandom, obviously love Marvel, love star Wars. Tell us more about
2: that.
1: Yeah. Um, my true Disney fandom, I guess, began, um, probably we were in, I was in college with my sisters or we had just graduated. Um, so about right around 2013, um, we had gone a couple times when I was younger with, with my fam, my whole family. Um, and my sister, Jessica was, was just about to get married. Um, and so I was like, Hey, you know, we, we, I vaguely remember a time uh, freshman year of high school that we had went, I was like, we had a lot of fun. What if we go like, let's just do like one last, like, you know, trip the, um, you know, a sibling's trip or whatever, um, to the, the four of us to go to Disney. And so we did, and that really was where you know we did everything. we went to all the parks it was it was kind of the the first kind of time as an adult that I had went, and I was like, this is so much fun um I was like, I want to keep doing this <laughs> uh, and so then I and then, yeah, so we we um we kind of started to see how we could make sort of family trips happen um every year or so um and then that's sort of where then I was like, okay, there's Disney. And then, you know, I found out about run Disney. I was like, oh my God, I can do, I can do racing and Disney. And I was like, this is, my mind was just blown, um, to like the possibilities. I was like, so that means not only do I get to race, but I get to make a net, another trip to Disney and get to say that I'm working as a result of it, which is just awesome. Um, and so, so yeah, so that's kind of Um, it started with just sort of a trip with, with some of my siblings and it, it grew into something that I now do multiple times a year.
0: That's, that's so cool. So this brings us, I think, squarely up to your first Avengers half in 2014. So, so tell us about that experience and like what you took from that and carried forward into ultimately your, your dopey championship.
1: So big Marvel fan as, as I said earlier. And so for me, I was like, Oh, this is so cool. And it was my first time ever going to Disneyland. So, um, I not only got the Disneyland experience, but I got to a race there as well. And so, um, I think the thing initially that I liked so much about it was that I could walk to (laughs) the start of the race. Um, little did I know what the transportation options for run Disney, the Disney world marathon races would be like, and that sort of chaos of, of navigating that system. But, but yeah, so, um, you know, it was the first race that I had, had, you know, um, had done for Disney. Um, and so one, it was just really cool. Cause you got to see, um, you know, I got to see superheroes and, and go around the parks. Um, but one of the really cool things that I always like, um, is that, you know, being one of the first athletes to go through, um, sort of down main street or even just in the parks, um, is really cool. And so for me, like, again, I'm at Disneyland for the first time and I get to go and I'm doing this and I'm like, oh my God, this is so cool. Um, I was the first time though, that I ever realized how technical these courses were. They are much different than, um, any of like the major marathons and things like that, like so technical. Um, and so that was something that I learned pretty quickly that, you know, you have to take some of those turns pretty carefully and things like that. And so, um, yeah, it was just an awesome experience. And I was like, oh my God, I'm doing, I'm going to keep doing this. And so that's where then I looked. My first Disney world race was just the Disney world marathon. Um, I didn't, I was so new to kind of everything with Disney. I didn't really know that, like, I didn't think to look, I didn't know what this dopey challenge was. I was like, I just want to do the marathon. And so my first year that I ever did it, I did, um, I just did the marathon. I I just just did the marathon. I did the marathon. Um, and, uh, yeah, I did it actually with a, with a buddy of mine, um, Rob, um, and he's, he also uses uh, a wheelchair. And so we, we were, um, having a good time. He actually, he managed to, to drop me, um, I think around like mile, like 18 or so there was a little bit of a downhill. Yeah, no, I, um, yeah, he was, he was the first you know, Disney marathon champion. The first time we did, I got second, the first year I did it. Um, but it was, it was really cool getting to do, that was really special to me though, too, because I got to do a race with a friend. And so like, that was a lot of times, um, you know, I've made, I've met a lot of friends, um, through run Disney itself that, that are adapted athletes, but I don't necessarily always race with them. Um and so this was kind of special cuz I got to actually do a trip with Rob, my friend, and then his family came down, my family came down too. So it was really a fun kind of just whole experience. Um and then the next year, that's when I was like, okay, now I was fully invested and that's when I, I so I was 2016 then. Um and that's when I learned I was like, oh, there's this dopey challenge and I like again, you do dope because of the medals. I saw the medals and I was like I want those. And so, um, so yeah, so I, my, I did my first dopey in 2016. Um, and I, that's the year that I, I had won, um, all the, I, I swept the division. And so that was, that was really cool. Um, and, yeah, the medals were just sweet. And then every year, you know, you, you have the early mornings and and everything. And I was like, okay, I did it once. I don't need to do it again. And then you see next year's medals. And sure enough, I did it again. And I've been doing it. I've said no more dopies now for six years. <laughs> um, And and I'm gonna be back next year. I was just joking with, so I was like, I'm gonna, was miserable getting up at you know 2 AM, but we're gonna do it again.
0: Yeah. And being that next year is an anniversary year, I think, you know, especially since this year's medals were, were so luxe, I think that everybody's like, yep, this, this makes sense. I have to ask, did you make Rob pay for dinner for dropping you at 18? Cause I definitely would
1: have. No, no. I think I bought him a beer. It was, (laughs) (laughs) that's very nice of you. Yeah. No, no, it was, you know, we, we had gone in with no, it was like a, yeah, we're going to race. Cause it was like, we were, we're very competitive and it was um, there was, there was no, no hard feelings or anything. It was, it was a good, um, it was a good time. And honestly, it it's what gives you um, being able to be with someone and then having, you know, uh, that sort of happen um, helps you throughout the race as well. It motivates you because there are parts of that course that like it's times of that race, it gets hard. um, and, and it's not easy. And so sometimes having that little bit of motivation just keeps you going, which was nice.
0: What would you say is, is the most challenging part of say the marathon or the half marathon course? Cause now that I'm thinking like from an adaptive athletes perspective, like turnstiles and trolley tracks and all this stuff, like as a, as an adaptive athlete, what's the most challenging part for you?
2: I personally was thinking about the harrowing uh, little river situation in Disneyland. When you said that, I was like, that wasn't wasn't fun on, on feet. I don't think I'd be okay on wheels.
1: (laughs) No, no, it's not. Um, You take you. It's funny how like quicker pace goes down. We're like, as soon as we go through the parks, as cool as they are, they kill any momentum you have doing the race. Like it's just gone. Um, So I think, so what's interesting is that they're, so for, for me, um, you know, when I'm out there, I'm, I'm usually either with, you know, one person or it's just me and my bikers, or maybe just a hand cycle or two, because the hand cycles, um, they, they're, they're not manual propulsion, they, they're, they're cycles, but like, so they're able to, so sometimes I'm with some of them. um, And so it's not too bad because we don't have, you know, it's the hairpin turns, which are hard. Um, I think, The course two years ago actually went through blizzard beach, I think, or whenever the last marathon was before this one. So 2020, yeah, I guess it was 2020 right before everything shut down. Um, blizzard beach I thought was awful. It was like, turn, turn, stop, turn. Um, like you really had to whatever. And so for me, that was hard. And I was by myself and there are some athletes that, that use push rims or that are hand cycles or any other kind of equipment that then get caught by runners. And it becomes really hard um, because not only are they then trying to navigate these things and and be a you know stay abreast of of sort of the the course and the environment, but on top of that, then they have runners and they're trying not to hit anyone. Um, and so it's always I know that that's that's a challenge, um, and it's something that um, it's hard. It's hard because you know part of the experience is going through some of these places as well. Um, but. Um, I think just the technicality of the, the Disney courses, um, is probably, um, it's, it's hard no matter what, if you're running as well, you guys get bottlenecked and there's, you know, there's runners everywhere and, and, and all that stuff. And you're trying to go around someone and there's a line of like four people just having a good old time. And, um, yeah, so, so I think it's, it's sometimes just the technical nature of the course makes it hard.
2: Yeah, there was a video, I think in 2020 that went viral of a hand cyclist crashing into a med tent because she'd been cut off by a runner and she was trying to take a turn and it just didn't, it didn't happen. And she went right into, right into the med tent. And I give you so much credit because I, I you know, I see hay bales and I,
1: and I know what they're for. <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: <laughs> and, and it's hard too, cause you know, you feel bad for everyone. Cause it's sort of, it, it's, it's a tough situation that everyone's just, everyone's out there to, to have a good time and to run. Um, and, and so it's, it's, it's tough and it's, it's, I think everyone does their best to, to just be cognizant of the environment, but sometimes in those, you know, moments, there's just too much going on and you miss something and, and, you know, accidents happen, but, um, yeah, they do their best. Everyone does their best to try and make sure that there's as few accidents as possible or like technical, uh, or like mechanical malfunctions.
0: So, so sort of on that front. Um, and I know, uh, my experience racing, Emily's experience racing, um, we don't typically interact with adaptive athletes unless, you know, like the New York city marathon, the Achilles start, like we're catching folks much later in the race. Like, could you help our listeners understand like what some of the, the, the proper etiquette is if you are an able-bodied athlete who encounters an adaptive athlete to like help keep everybody safe and make sure that everybody has a, a good experience?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, usually the, the general rule of thumb is that, um, you know, you're supposed to stay to the right if someone is is passing. Or like you're not supposed you're supposed to kind of hold your line. Um, obviously, like it gets complicated for some of these technical courses where um, you're maneuvering and people are everyone's trying to kind of either go around someone or things like that. But I think it's just trying to be um, trying to be vocal you know, be vocal. I think the, usually the, the push room or the hand cycle athlete is the one that's trying to kind of yell to be like wheelchair on your right or whatever, just so people are aware of sort of where someone is. Um, and I think just yet giving yourself, I think, so you should be as a runner, I think it's trying to give space as well. Make sure you give yourself more space than, than you kind of think you might need. Cause sometimes again, we can make a quick sudden turn or just a quick movement that then clips you or whatever. And and that's not, um, you know, that's not worth ruining your race, all the training you've done versus, and then the, the, the cycle or the, the, the push room as the push room chair either. Um, so kind of giving yourself more space to make sure that it's clear to go, I think just, um, and then just kind of you going around on like the left is, is usually the best sort of ways how you pass. And so, um, that, that, you know, they should be holding their line. Um, but again, sometimes it's hard. Um, and it's, um, but I think that's everyone It again, and you're in a race situation, which makes everyone isn't thinking about, you know, safety all the time. They're, they're trying to get around and, and things. And, and so it's, it's not easy. Um, and so, so yeah, it, uh, I always, I generally race from a perspective of like, it's just safety first all the time. I would, you know, no race is to me worth, um, you know, injuring myself, injuring others, damaging you know, anything. Cause again, that's, it's just not worth it.
0: I think that's an excellent point. And and it's definitely something, especially with Disney races, where you have the added distraction of characters. Like somebody's like, oh my gosh, the Incredibles, I want to take a photo. And they go from the left lane all the way to the right without warning anybody. So, um, and I say this as somebody who has personally done that. I was very excited about Doug and Carl in Animal Kingdom. And uh, yeah.
1: I tell, I tell my cyclist, um, that when, that I get with me, I'm like, if Russell is out on the course, I am stopping for Russell. <laughs> and one year I forgot Russell, he was too far. He was like in the grass and I, I wasn't going to make it work. I was like, I'm not going to push all the way over there, but Russell is the, is the, one of the few characters that I would absolutely, Russell is like my favorite. And I would be like, so I always tell my cyclist, I'm like, if we see Russell, I'm stopping. And I almost stopped for for Carl and, and Mr. Frederick and, and Doug, but I didn't, um, I did see them and I was tempted to. I was looking for Russell. If Russell was there, that would have been a stop.
0: I, I just, I've told him this a couple of times, like I know he doesn't, she doesn't officially stop for photos, but Kevin, just a random Kevin sighting, I think would just be, it'd be the icing on the cake. Everybody would be super excited. And like, all she'd need to do is like poke her little head out from behind a tree, especially with the new socially distant
1: character greetings, which by the way, like you can get in and out pretty quick. Like at- that's nice. I was wondering how they worked out this year. Cause that I, you sort of, I noticed how they kind of were like, yeah, they were socially distant. And so I didn't know how the pictures would, would go. Cause I usually don't stop cause it's not Russell.
0: Well, totally fair. Um, I can say that I was able to manage probably about two times more character photos in roughly the same amount of time. So I finished the half and I came away with 14 character photos and I only lost seven minutes. So I felt really good about that. Um, the marathon obviously was much warmer this year. So we were just trying to take it easy and not die, um, and get to the, get to the chocolate at uh, the tower of terror and not have it be like a milkshake, just actually mm-hmm. have it have some structural integrity. Um, but yeah, I, it was, it was one of those things I was like, this is actually an improvement. Like, yes, absolutely. Everybody would love to hug Russell or hug a chipmunk or, you know, give Mr. Incredible a high five, but if you can get in out and done and still have a, a mitigating effect on your, on your race, I feel like that works really well.
2: Nice. Yeah. You keep talking about this Kevin sighting, but I really don't think anything's going to top the sheep. I'm never going to hear the end of this. Um, I'm going to bring up the sheep every day until we die. It's just... just
0: What's gonna- I, it happened this year that the zookeepers, uh, at animal kingdom brought out live animals. And I actually hadn't seen this happen before. Um, and I, I really enjoy puns quite a bit and, uh, live animals and puns. Like that's just a really, that's a win-win for me. And they had two big sheep. That were wearing like little sheep blankets that said you got this um and i just absolutely like i had to stop i was like this is amazing like there's no way that i can not stop for this um, so I, I, said to the keeper, I was like, cause I'm trying to be sensitive to people's comfort levels and things. I said, I, can I take a photo? And she goes, oh my gosh, of course. So I'm like squaring up to take the photo. She goes, why don't you get in the photo here? Do you want to meet the sheep? Her name is Judy. She's 11. And I was like, can I give Judy a pat on the head? And she goes, absolutely. So another keeper took the photo and I texted Emily the photo because I just kind of wanted her, well, first sheep and second, like, I just wanted her to know where I was on the course. And I just got back this text message, all caps is that a sheep what are you doing
1: i mean probably one of the most rare character encounters you would ever have on on a run disney course so that's special that's so cool
2: yes and i just want to be as excited about anything as in my life as she was about this sheep like you could just see it in the photo that there was like nothing better in that moment than meeting a sheep I, it just was so
0: unexpected, and I think that's what we all enjoy: is that these there's these moments of magic where you get to be in the parks before everybody, and also like you get to see things that you wouldn't necessarily see. Um, but I think that's you know I I, I I was that's also that that loop by Animal Kingdom is just tough because you're in Animal Kingdom for what seems like five seconds, and then you're back out on that loop. Um, I really felt for the volunteers this year because when I went into Animal Kingdom, they were playing Hakuna Matata, and when I came out they were playing Hakuna Matata and I kind of thought that those volunteers probably deserved an award or something because if I had to listen to Hakuna Matata for six hours I'd probably lose it.
1: I thought a similar sentiment but about the for the 5 and the 10k when you're going back into Epcot and they were playing The Magic is Calling the new like 50th song which granted I love but I think hearing that on repeat for like two hours, like the magic is calling over and over again. I would be like, the magic is not calling anymore.
0: (laughs) The magic is hung up. The magic has had it.
1: (laughs) Yeah.
2: Yeah, I volunteered my first year, 2016, actually at the, at the full marathon. And I was stationed in the back lot at Hollywood studios. And I listened to the same three songs about New York for five hours. Like New the Sinatra, New York, New York, the New York, New York from on the town and Ethel Merman seeing city lights for three, for five hours. Oh like God. just on a loop and everyone running through was like, I'm in New York. This is so great. And I'm like, I've been listening to this song all day. I never
1: want to go to New York again.
2: <laughs> I was like, I live here and I don't want to go back.
0: <laughs> so I, I guess, um, before we, and we have Emily has uh, what we call our fast fives and our like fun blue sky questions, which we always enjoy. Um, but if, if you could talk to any listeners, whether they are able-bodied or adaptive athletes or folks who may be considering run Disney for the first time, what would you share with them about your experience and why they, you know, they should or shouldn't take part?
1: I think the run Disney experience is one of the best experiences ever at whatever capacity you're able to do. So if you want to do a 5k, do the 5k. If you want to do the marathon, do the marathon. But I also think one of the best things that I love being able to do at this race is that I get to go finish and then cheer people on cheering for runners is probably my favorite thing to do that. I can't wait till I finish like racing because I love it. I lo- I will sit in Epcot at the end of the marathon and just wait till the last runner comes through. Like it is my favorite thing to do in the entire world. Like I go back, I shower and then I go back and I sit in line and I just cheer everyone. It is my favorite thing. I usually say, dumb things. I have my medals on and I'm like, look, these are waiting for you and all this fun stuff. So not only should you do it because it's so much fun. And honestly, one of like the best experiences ever, um, make sure you plan some time to go cheer as well, because it's really, you get so much out of it. And then the runners, you get to see how much they appreciate, um, sort of that little extra bit of support as well. And so, so not only go run, but go cheer because that's really important.
2: I would agree with that. This was the first year I got to stand on main street and cheer during the marathon. And I had the best time. I was so, it was so great to see everybody be so excited to come down main street and see the castle for the first time. Like, I know what that's like, but it, to watch everybody else do it, it's mm-hmm. amazing.
1: Like, you can see it, like, how when people are, like, running for the merit, like, they have their, their, just the marathon bib or even, like, the dopey, and, like, you can tell how excited they are, and it's, like, you are so close to that, this really monumental feat that, like, is is not easy to do. And like, you have just done it and it's really, really exciting. And so yeah, cheering is one of my favorite things to do. I like, I make it a point to, to do it. Um, that's also one of the things I liked about the Disneyland races is that it was so close to property that like, it was much easier for me to just finish and then go and cheer. And so, so yeah, go, go race and go and go cheer, go just do it all. It's great.
0: It, it sounds like Brian might have a future career as a run Disney announcer, perhaps maybe.
1: I don't know if I have the stamina to do that but maybe maybe that would be cool. I would I would not be opposed to that. Um I really get into it like very much so. I think you
0: would be awesome at it and I think that that would be a lot of fun too especially as a past champion being able to relate to the audience. Um so this is my last specific question cuz M's going to do all the Disney specific stuff but We do a thing on the show called Blue Sky Racing, where we ask folks to think about, like, if you could build a certain type of race, a certain type of experience. So I'll put it to you. If you could design a marathon on any Disney property themed to any IP, whether that's Marvel, whether that's Star Wars, it's traditional characters, what
1: do you think you would do? You know, my gut instinct is is to say Marvel, but I've done Marvel. And so I very much love all, I mean, any Disney Animation Studios movie, I think in general, I think an entire race with those specific, like you, if it's themed somehow throughout all of the different lands that that Disney Animation has created, I think would be so cool. Um, like, you know, you start in Agraba and then go to Corona and then, you know, you can go to Atlantis. Like, I think that would be really cool. And you get to encounter the characters all along the way. Um, that would probably like sign me up for that race right away. I'll, I'll do it all the time.
2: I would sign up for that so fast.
0: And also, like that is so incredible because you have like all of the props and all of the sets. And like, you know, it's it's great to see Jeannie standing on the boardwalk, but to see Genie in Agrabah or mm-hmm. Magic Carpet, I'd be very excited about Magic Carpet. But yeah,
1: I I think that's what I think. You know, Marvel is a very it's near and dear to my heart. But I think I think I would like the like Disney animation, and you can throw Pixar in there too. We can have some Pixar too. I'm not I'm not opposed to Pixar.
0: As long as Russell makes an appearance, Brian, as long, as Russell, make, as, long as Russell needs that, Russell is a requirement. <laughs> that's, that's <the laughs> no matter what it is, it has to fit Russell. Russell has to be there. I lied. Last question. What are you training for in 22? Uh,
1: 22. I am training primarily for, we have our U S national championships in June mm-hmm. and I'll do the, um, the world marathon major circuit. So Chicago, Boston, London, New York. Um,
0: are they, are they still all on that crazy, like six
1: week timeline? No, thank goodness. Oh um, my God. I was like, oh, that's so much racing in such a short amount of time. Like, yeah, they moved, um, you know, it might be a little, there's, there's still going to be some congestion in the fall. Um, cause they moved the London marathon again. Um, cause they weren't sure if they were going to be able to do it in the spring, but, um, but it won't be as congested as it was. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I, I just I we had a couple friends that did it and it was like they were chasing that sixth star and it was like oh gosh no please please don't do that to
1: yourself. Yeah, no. Plus, I think the Adobe medals are more than a six star but here I might be biased.
2: I concur. I'm I'm doing New York this year as well. Um yeah. and my first New York medal was like kind of boring but they've gotten like really cool since. And so I'm hoping that we like keep that up.
1: Mm-hmm. Keep evolving. I think everyone sort of has gotten like the the hint that like people want the medals. Like I like I'm really glad that the 5K medal this year finally got the recognition it deserves as a legitimate medal. Like it wasn't some chintzy piece of plastic, but like it, it was, was the
2: biggest one. Mm-hmm. Like physically size wise, if you put it on top of all the others, it was the biggest one.
1: Yeah. And rightfully so. It is a very important medal. Don't just like discard it because it's a five K. No. So anyway, but yeah, um, yeah, I have feelings about that, but, um, yeah, the New York one, uh, New York is always fun. New York's fun. I mean, it's, I think one of the most hardest races, you know, the most challenging races that start at the Verrazano is always, it gets you.
0: What was it like to race with your siblings in 16? I understand you, you all ran it together that first year.
1: Well, by together I did it and then they started behind me and got it. um, Got it and, um, it was cool. It was very cool to to be able to do that with them. Um, my sister, Jessica is not a runner. Um, and so convincing her was probably the most challenging feat of it all. Um, but that was really cool to get to see them. Uh, you know, I, I finished and then I was able to come watch them finish at the end. Um, was really cool. Cause that was something, you know, we had never done before. Like we had never done like a, group sort of activity like that before. So it was a really unique opportunity. I don't think it will ever happen again. Um, I did get them prior to the New York city marathon. They did actually, um, my sisters, um, two of my friends, and then actually my sister's, uh, significant others. We all did the, one of the Avengers, I did the Avengers, the infinity goblin challenge. Um, but they actually just did, I think the 10 K that was sort of the deal. I, I would, we would go out to do it, but they had to do a race. I wasn't going to let them come if they didn't do a race. And so we all dressed up. We all have, we were, it's on my Instagram somewhere. Um, but yeah, we all dressed up, um, as different, uh, Marvel characters. And it was probably one of the funnest times I've ever had.
0: Why can't we still have the infinity gauntlet challenge? Oh my gosh.
1: Dreams. I will go. I will be there the the moment that race opens up. I will be right back there,
0: (laughs) standing in line, ready with your bib. Like, yep, I'm here. I'm here. (laughs) The race isn't for three weeks. That's okay. I'll I'll be. I'll just be here. I'll be right. I'll be waiting.
2: I'll have my baby Groot in one hand and my Infinity Gauntlet oven mitt on the other hand, and I'll just be like ready to go. I think the I think the oven mitt is a better choice than the Lego one because that could just get difficult. Oh no, I wouldn't bring the No, that's what the oven mitt's for. <laughs> you wear the oven mitt. Yes.
0: So Em, you want to take them through the fast fives?
2: Yeah. So this is what we call the Disney fast five. It is rapid fire questions. You don't get to think about it. It is, it is, it is your gut instinct? Oh my gosh. Whatever. We're stressing him out. Look at his face.
1: <laughs> oh God. I'm sweating.
2: Okay. Oh okay. So there's five favorite Disney snack. Uh, Mickey pretzel. Yes. Favorite show and or parade. Um uh oh uh happily ever after. Solid favorite character? Russell. Favorite ride? Uh Splash Mountain. Favorite song. Uh
1: Out There, Hercules. Uh how Out There Hunchback of Notre Dame.
0: Yes, absolutely. And you are now officially Emily's favorite guest ever because you're the only guest that
1: has ever mentioned Hunchback of Notre Dame. <laughs> yes. This is such an underrated song. It is the most underrated <laughs> song in Disney IP songs.
2: I agree. I think it is the best score that Alan Menken ever wrote for Disney. And it is so underrated. Mm-hmm. I will die on that hill. <laughs> yes.
0: And Hunchback has an anniversary this year, isn't it? 25 It had years? an
2: anniversary last year.
0: 25. Okay. Yeah. I, I was just like thinking about it. I was like, that's pretty, yeah,
1: pretty close to an anniversary year. Underappreciated. Underappreciated. But so, so good.
2: I, I agree. I concur.
0: So Brian, if our listeners want to follow along with your athleticism, your activism, any of your Disney and or
1: Marvel and or Star Wars related adventures, where can they find more about you? Uh, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter primarily. I mostly post pictures of my dogs though. So, um, But it's uh, at BCman. Um, pretty simple, standard.
0: What an awesome story. Thank you, Brian, for taking the time to share it with us, and we can't wait to see you at a Run Disney finish line soon. And we would encourage everyone listening to take Brian's advice and spend a little time cheering at your next finish line, too. Listeners, we hope you enjoyed this week's show. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, Anchor, Overcast, or your favorite podcast player. We'll be dropping episodes every two weeks, roughly. Thanks for tuning in today. We'd love to connect with you online. You can find us at, at EarfulRunner.com or at EarfulRunner on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks, and we'll see you real soon.